0: Hello, LifePoint. Thank you for joining us once again online. This is the fourth Sunday that we have come to you virtually, that we've joined together virtually. Man, it's not ideal. We all want to be together. I know you're probably a little stir crazy right now, to be honest, but thank God the sun's been shining uh, the last couple of days. And so maybe you've been able to go outside and and, uh, get some exercise and some sunlight and that's helped you, I hope. But man, even though we can't join together, I am so thankful that we have the technology that God has given us in this time to be able to worship And I thank you for being faithful with that. Each week, uh, you've been faithful, and I'm just thankful uh, for you leaning in and not laying back. And so, as Travis said, this is Holy Week. Uh, It begins today. This is Palm Sunday, uh, heading up to Easter weekend. Next weekend, Good Friday, Friday. And then Sunday is the day we celebrate resurrection. You know, I've heard people talk about how, man, uh, we're not able to celebrate Easter this year, and that is absolutely... Absolutely, false, it's wrong. We're gonna celebrate, we're gonna do it differently, but we're still gonna celebrate. Nothing can stop us, nothing can stop Christians from celebrating the resurrection of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And so we're gonna celebrate and please join with us as we celebrate Easter. As a matter of fact, if you will go online, uh, you can find on our website different resources. You'll find a Holy Week guide for you and your family. Uh, You'll find different resources that, that you can Use to invite people to watch with you. Start a watch party. Uh, you can make signs, put on your mailbox with our website. You know, get creative. Do the the chalk the walk thing and put our website, our our online, so that people can join you. Share everything. So this is a great week to really, really, really invite your friends, your neighbors, uh, your coworkers, everybody to join with you next week. All right. So so get online, look at all those resources. We'll be p- using social media to post them out. Please connect with us on social media like never before because that's the way we communicate with you okay so please uh, lean into that and and let's let's make Easter this year although it's going to be different let's still make it a very special celebration of the resurrection of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ okay and so so thank you for joining with us today and man we are in this series called his house out of first Timothy and you know it reminded me of the 1980s the the message this week really uh, specifically 1985, 1985 Eighty-five was an incredible year. It's the year Amy married me, and so it, you know it was a great year for her. Now, I, I, although you're not with me, I can hear the laughter out there. I hope I can. So, but eighty-five was a great year. Not only was it the year that Amy and I got married, it was the year that that John Fogarty released his hit "Centerfield." Uh, you can remember it if you were uh, grew up in that time frame. Anyway, I mean the lyrics weren't that complex, but they were real catchy. I, I wrote them down, and I, I just want to. I, I, I want to sing them to you, but I'm going to spare you, all right? I'm going to make your Sunday, or whenever you're watching this, I'm going to make it uh, better for you. It's Sunday right now, and so, so I'm, I'm not going to sing it, but I, let me read some of these lyrics. It's, it's going to get it ringing in your, in your ear. It says, I got a beat up glove, a homemade bat, a brand new pair of shoes. I want to sing it so bad. You know, I think it's time to give this game a ride, just to hit the ball and touch them all. A moment in the sun. It's a gone, and you can tell that one goodbye. Put me in, coach. I'm ready to play today. Put me in coach, I'm ready to play today. Look at me, gotta be center field. Now, you're welcome that I did not read that, but man, uh, if you, Grew up in the '80s, then that's an earworm right now. You're going to be thinking about that song my entire sermon, probably, uh, probably the rest of the day. So you're welcome for that as well. You know, as we jump into this series, back into this series today, let me let me tell you what that uh, song is spot on. The reason that that spot song is spot on for today, because today our bottom line is getting the game. All right, get in the game, put me in coach. As we've looked at this series, obviously when we planned this series several months ago, we did not have a clue that we would be under a quarantine, isolation, uh, separation, You know, not be able to meet. We, we, we didn't know that this global coronavirus pandemic would be absolutely changing the way we do things. But what I've been amazed with every week, and I really shouldn't be because it's God's word, but it's amazed me at how what Paul said to Pastor Timothy, 2,000 years ago, is spot on for the church today. You know, in in chapter one, Paul basically, we looked at, he said, cling to the gospel. And that's what we need to be doing as a church right now. We need to be clinging to the gospel. Uh, Also in chapter two, one through seven, we looked at Paul telling Timothy to cling to prayer. The importance of prayer. And we talked about that. And so today, what we're going to do is we're going to bounce to chapter four. And chapter four is so spot on. But the reason we're going to bounce is because there's some things in the rest of chapter two and chapter three, some great opportunity for me to share with you some vision of deacons and of elders. And I really want to do that when we're all together. All right. So we're going to come back to it. But right now, I want to bounce to chapter four, which is so spot on, because he's going to say, get in the game. Put me in coach. All right. And so uh, there's never a time for believers to back away. There's never a time for believers to ride the pine always believers should be shouting, put me in coach, especially in this moment. We should be leaning in. We should be getting in the game. And so when we look at first Timothy chapter four, we're going to look at three things about this passage uh, that I think Paul clearly says to Timothy to tell the church. And he's telling you right now, this is God's word. It's good for all people. It's good for all places. It's all good for all times. It's absolute truth. And he wrote it to them and he wrote it to you and to me. And so so let's look at this. And the very first thing that we're going to see Paul say is stay in the game. Okay? Stay in the game. Now let me read it and see how Paul tells Timothy to stay in the game uh, as, we, as we look at this. So I'm going to look at 1 Timothy chapter 4, verses 1 through 5. And here's what he says. Now the Spirit, talking about the Holy Spirit, expressly says that in later times some will depart from the faith by devoting themselves to deceitful spirits, and teaching of demons, through the insincerity of liars whose consciences are seared, who forbid marriage and require abstinence from foods that God created to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and know the truth. For everything created by God is good, and nothing is to be rejected if it is received with thanksgiving, for it was made holy by the Word of God and by prayer. Now, Paul says that, the Spirit expressly revealed that in later times there would be many who would fall away from the faith. Now, When we look at this later times, it doesn't mean a couple of weeks or a couple of months before Jesus' return. We start thinking about later times and we start thinking about the things that's gonna happen in later times. And I think our minds can drift to just the moments before Jesus returns, maybe a couple of weeks or a couple of months. That's not what later times are in scripture. Later times in scripture refer to the time between Jesus' ascension into heaven 2,000 years ago and his return whenever that will be. So we are living in later times today Paul was living in later times as well, right? So it's that time between Jesus's ascension and Jesus's return. And here's what Paul said. Paul said that many, according to the spirit, the Holy Spirit, many would fall away from the faith during this time. Okay, now what I want you to understand and what I really wanna drive home is falling away from the faith does not mean Christians lose their salvation, okay? The Bible's clear about that. The Bible doesn't say that we can lose our salvation. Matter of fact, it drills home the point that we are secure, that true believers persevere to the end, okay, So, so that's not what he's talking about. But we have all seen people, some of our friends even, we all know people who have fallen away from the faith. right? I mean, we, we hate it, uh, they fall away. Man, they were maybe even baptized, joined a church. They were doing great, but they fall away, okay? And, and, and it, it's disappointing for us, but it shouldn't be surprising because Paul said, the Spirit said, this would happen, okay? So it should disappoint us but it shouldn't surprise us. You know, it's been sexy, it's become sexy in today's world for people to go public with their deconversion story, really, you know? I mean, we are about conversion. We wanna see people convert to Christianity, right? we That's what evangelism is all about. It's about sharing the gospel and letting God uh, use that as we share to open people's eyes to see and their minds to understand, their hearts uh, to receive the word and, and convert to Christianity. Well, there's all, all kinds of folks now that go public with their deconversion story. It's people who once claimed Jesus and who go public and they say, you know what, I, I saw the light. I mean, I, I was a part of this Christianity, but I've I, I really learned it it's archaic and it's, it's intolerant and it keeps people, all these kind of things. And, and, and we've even seen well-known pastors and Christian speakers deconvert people like Rob Bell. A few years ago, Rob Bell was one of the hottest authors and wrote books, and people were following Rob Bell and listening to Rob Bell, and and, and even when he was list, when when he was writing books, and we, we would listen and we would look and we would we would listen to his sermons, and it was obvious something was off. But he had this appeal, right? A guy named Joshua Harris was a pastor who wrote a very famous book called "I Kiss Dating Goodbye," and uh, that was sort of all the rage at one point. And uh, a woman named Jen Hatmaker, you know, very 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 popular woman speaker. All All three of these famous pastors and a famous woman, uh, lady speaker, uh, deconverted, so to speak. Okay. Now, to be quite honest with you, I I think it's almost amusing that they deconverted after they made millions off of people reading their stuff in their church and their lives were set. And so then they said, okay, I can deconvert. Uh, But I I, I digress there. Uh, the, The fact that they deconverted, does that mean they lost their salvation? It does not. Here's what it means. It means they never had it to begin with pastors. Okay. That, that's true. They never had it to begin with. Don't, don't, don't just listen to what I say. Here's what the book of John says. John, I'm sorry, the book, the book of first John, uh, first John chapter two, verse 19. First John two nineteen says this, they went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us, but they went out that it might become plain that they all are not of us. Okay. Now, John, in First John, we're told that people that go out never were a part of it. He, he, he doesn't say, you know what? They had it and they lost it. You know what? They were with us and then they went away. He says, no, they never had it to begin with okay? They didn't lose it because they didn't have it, even pastors, okay? And so when you see people who fall away, uh, time will tell, right? We all have times of when, we're, when we're just not, you know, 100%. I understand that we all have times when it's a lot less mountaintop experience and we struggle. I get that. That's not what we're talking about. But people who walk away, who don't want anything to do with church or, or, or God, they, they didn't have it to begin with. It's important that you know that. And why do I, I talk about that? Because that was what was happening in Ephesus. It's not new. It was happening in Ephesus. You had people who had came to faith, and or, or, I'm sorry, people who had claimed faith And they were a part of the church and they were walking away for many reasons. But Paul points out one major reason in the scripture that we read today. And that reason was false teaching. He said, you had these false teachers that were liars, right? I mean, they were teaching something that at one point they knew was not correct, but their conscience had become seared because they had kept on teaching a lie, right? And so Paul said what they were doing was they were leading people to tap out. They're leading people to tap out by by talking and teaching about things that were untrue, not biblical. Like, for instance, if you really want to be holy, if you really want to be right with God, you can't get married. You know, if you really want to be holy, you have to abstain from certain foods. So in other words, you prove your holiness by what you do. You're disciplined to do certain things, right? And Paul said, I know it sounds pious and it sounds holy, but I want you to understand it's toxic and it's from the enemy. What these teachers are doing is they're lying because God has given food, he's given marriage, he's given sex to be enjoyed in his bounds, right? Within his boundaries, his biblical boundaries, he's given these things to be enjoyed with thanksgiving. And so Paul said, what they're doing is they're forbidding what God has allowed and that is a sin. So we gotta get this because it still happens, this type of legalism, it still happens when people forbid. They say, well, you shouldn't do this but God didn't forbid it, right? They're forbidding what God allowed. And it's just as much a sin to forbid what God allows as it is to allow what God forbids, okay? And so, so they were confusing people with false teaching. And you know what it was doing? It was causing people to tap out, t- causing people to walk away. Maybe you've got some friends that, that you've seen that you've been very excited about even when they were a part of church or when they got baptized or whatever, but they've walked away. Man, they don't want really anything to do with Jesus or with church. They've walked away. And it's, like I said, it's very disappointing and your heart hurts for them. And maybe you, you, you have that and you, you have friends that have, have done that. You've seen friends that have done that. But what we have to understand, sometimes it's because of, of false teaching. Sometimes it's because of false teaching. Sometimes maybe it's, it's the world teaching universalism because the Bible expressly says that Jesus is the only way to heaven. There is salvation by no other name. Jesus says, I'm the way, the truth, the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. On and on and on and on, right? There is one mediator between God and man. It's only through Jesus. But you see in our world today, that, that doesn't sound very tolerant, does it? Because it says, you know, Jesus is the only way and every other path up the mountain is not going to get you where you want to go. There's only one true path, and that's Jesus. And so the world today who says that's intolerant and we as Christians are, are intolerant for even teaching that. And so many people believe that false teaching and fall away. Maybe it's the false teaching of, of relativism Right? I mean, what's right for you? And it doesn't have to be necessarily truth, my truth and all this kind of stuff. It's caused people to fall away. Maybe, maybe it's the health and wealth prosperity gospel. It's caused people to fall away because what was promised there doesn't happen. It doesn't come true. There's no substance there. And so maybe it's caused people to fall away. So maybe it's false teachings that your friends have heard. But you know what? I think this word is spot on for today because right now is a different time in our world. I mean, right now there's all kinds of of teachings out there that people can go see and maybe they can watch false teachings online. But right now is a different time. We can't meet together. You know, our world has been really radically changed, has not it? It's been upset, uh, uh, turned upside down, so to speak, for the last few weeks. And I mean, we can't go to the movies. We can't go to ball games. We can't go eat out. But most importantly, we can't come to church. And so right now, is a time when a lot of people, if they're not careful, can begin to drift away. They can begin to drift away, they can lean back. You know, well, I, I'm not gonna go to church and maybe they don't get up on Sunday to watch live and, uh, and then, you know, maybe I'll watch it later and before long, after a few weeks, it's like, it's not even in my schedule, it's not really in my mind. And uh, man, I, I, I'm not meeting with folks and so I'm watching lots of TV and lots of videos, lots of Netflix, I'm playing lots of video games, I'm doing lots of things, but I'm, I'm really not in a word this is a really, really easy time for people to fall back. And I wanna challenge you, LifePoint family and LifePoint friends all over the world, don't lay back, lean in. That's sort of our theme, right? Don't lay back, lean in. Make sure that God at the end of this moment, and it will be a moment, okay? In the scope of, of world history, this will be a moment. And when this moment's over, I want God to say, Pat, you are faithful. I, I want God to say, Life Point, you were faithful. Life Point family, Life Point friends, all over the world, you were faithful. So don't lay back, lean in. Don't tap out. Right now is the time to be saying, Put me in, coach. I'm ready to play, right? I'm ready to play. This is a great challenge, but it's also a great opportunity. It's a great opportunity to be an ambassador, to give the hope that we have in Christ. But you can't do that if you're riding a pine. So right now, it's time to say, Put me in, coach. Put me in, stay in the game, life point. Stay in the game, Christian. Stay in the game, believer. Stay in the game, stay in the game. That's what I think Paul is saying here, stay in the game. The second thing I think he's saying is train for the game, train for the game. Let's look at 1 Timothy uh, chapter four, verses six through 10. Look at what Paul says here. If you put these things before the brothers, you will be a good servant of Christ Jesus being trained in the words of the faith and of the good doctrine that you have followed. Now, see, there's obviously false doctrine because he he contrasts that with good doctrine. Okay. And so he says that Timothy has been trained in the good doctrine. And if he puts that good doctrine before the church, man, then, you know, he will be a good servant of, of Christ Jesus. So he's saying, if you help people stay in the game, you're gonna gonna be a good servant, right? Put good doctrine before them, good teaching, right? That's what my job is, but also that's what you as a believer, your job is to your friends and to your family, right? Is to put good doctrine before them. And he says, have nothing to do with irreverent, silly myths. Rather, here he goes, train yourself for godliness. Train yourself for godliness. For while bodily training is of some value, Godliness is a value in every way, as it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance. For to this end, we toil and strive because we have our hope set on the living God. Wow, what a phrase. We have our hope set on the living God. That should change everything about how you live and view this moment. Your hope is set on the living God, who is the savior of all people, especially of those who believe. So. When we come to this part, Paul challenges Timothy to train for godliness, train for the game, train for godliness. Now the games uh, you know, were very important athletics as they are today in our world. Athletics were huge in Ephesus in that day and in that culture. Uh, you had a lot of different athletic games. And so he speaks a lot of training and running the race and things like that. And so Paul, uh, he says, Physical training, bodily training has some value, okay? Now, understand, Paul didn't bash physical training. He's not saying, Physical training is is not of any value. Don't worry about it. Don't spend your time on it. Not at all. As a matter of fact, we know, we know that physical training has incredible value. This is our body that God has given us. We should be a good steward of the money that God has given us. We should be a good steward of the friends that God has given us. We should be a good steward of the family, of the job, of the home. Everything God has given you, including your last heartbeat, it's from God. If God wouldn't have given it to you, you wouldn't have it. You didn't just get it, okay? God allowed you to have it, he gave it to you and we're to be good stewards of God's stuff, right? We're to be good stewards of all we have in our body, belongs to God. And so we should be good stewards of that body. That means we should be as physically fit as possible. I mean, I understand that. My undergrad degree is in health, is in health and, and physical, edu- physical education, right? And so I, I know a little bit, not because the way you would look at me, you would say, I don't know, but my mind knows, right? The value of physical training and nutrition. Paul says it has value, but listen, I also know that it's limited in its value. You know it's limited in its value. Right? I mean, I mean you can have the you can work out till you have the body of, of a Greek God. I mean, chiseled, and you can still be broken in your soul. You know that. I mean you can run a four-minute mile, and you can still be lonely and angry and bitter, right? You can be frustrated, you can be hopeless and and be so physically fit that you can run forever almost. I mean, think about it. You can do more burpees than a Navy SEAL. You can work out so much that you have an incredible six pack on your stomach, right? But let's be real. I mean, about three to four weeks into a quarantine, a few pans of brownies later, you got a keg again, right? It's limited. Physical training is of great value and we should do it. We should try to keep our bodies in shape, not because we're going to live longer if we do, right? That's established. God's word says that he established basically our birth date and our death date. So you won't live longer. Don't think, man, I'm going to work out so I can live longer. But here's what I promise you, you can feel better. You can be more effective in ministry for the Lord if you are healthy, okay? And so, so we should work out. We should uh, uh, be physically training when we can. We should have proper nutrition and all that. But, he says, godly, uh, uh, godliness has value for all of life. Training for godliness has absolutely ultimate value, right? Think about it. When I train, if I when I train, I should say not wins, not the proper word, because I'm gonna be honest with you. It's not like I go to the gym a lot, okay? I wish I did, but I, it's not like I, I go get on the elliptical or the or the treadmill or whatever. But uh, you know, if I were to do that, that would affect my body. But that, that's really where it stops. I mean, right, I mean, I, it releases endorphins and I can go home and you know, I can feel really good in about 30 minutes or whatever. But, but like I said, it doesn't really change how I talk to people. It doesn't really change how I, how I feel about things, right? That, that's physical training, but, but spiritual training, training for godliness, it affects everything. It affects how I talk to people. It affects the hope that I have in this time. It, it, it affects the things I watch. It affects all of life. It even affects how I feel. It affects my the, my mentality. It, it, it affects my emotions, right? It, it, it affects now, but it also affects the life to come. It, it, it's forever. It's eternal. You see, the value of physical training dies with you. <laughs> it's temporary. I mean, you can be getting shape, and when you die, all of that, it goes to dust, right? It goes back to dust. But the spiritual training is eternal. It goes forever, right? And notice the word that Paul uses here when he talks about training, it's the word for gymnasium. It's the Greek word for gymnasium, and that means to sweat. So what Paul is saying here is basically for you to train for godliness is going to be hard work, I mean, it's not just going to happen. It doesn't happen by accident. It doesn't happen by laying in the bed. It doesn't happen by sitting on the couch. You know, it, it takes hard work. It takes you getting busy, Right, just like physical training requires you to get off of your couch and, and go do push-ups at least or sit-ups or go to the gym. Training for godliness requires you to get up, to get in the word, to get up, to to, to spend time in prayer, to, 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 to spend time in solitude. And that's not just sitting around sleeping. I mean, it's it's thinking and it's pondering the things of God, right? The spiritual disciplines. We did a whole series this summer. You could go watch. When I was on sabbatical, our staff did a series on the spiritual disciplines, right? right? Habits for holiness. Go watch that. You'll learn a lot of ways that you can train, but really in this passage, what Paul's focus is in training is the word of God. It's the word of God, right? I mean, he, he tells Timothy to nourish himself on the word of God. Nutrition is a huge part of your training, your physical training. I mean, you can train and you can run, but you also have to eat proper, right? So nutrition is a huge part of physical training. Well, spiritual nutrition is vital and how you're spiritually nourished is to feed on the word of God, to feast on the word of God, right? Paul said you should nourish your soul on the word of God. And just as if you were to only eat one meal per week, you would not be very healthy, would you? Matter of fact, before long, you wouldn't have the energy. You would make it a few days, but then you wouldn't have the energy to work out. You wouldn't have the energy to train. You wouldn't have the energy before long to go to work. You wouldn't have the the energy. Your body would be what we call malnourished. We've all seen children that are malnourished that get one meal every now and then, maybe a small meal, and their stomachs get distended. And we've seen pictures of malnourishment and it just breaks our hearts. Well, to be quite honest with you, that's exactly what happens to a lot of Christians who become spiritually malnourished because the only meal they get is when maybe their pastor feeds them, maybe, maybe when someone feeds them in a Bible study or small group, but to be physically nourished or spiritually nourished, I should say, on the word of God means that I have to feast on it daily. I have to have some nourishment, nutrition daily. So here's what Paul is saying, you know, uh, Paul is saying that, that training for godliness is hard work. You gotta sweat. And so it means getting up and getting in the word on a daily basis, it means making a commitment to lean into worshiping online. Even when, you're home, uh, even when we can't join together, we still, we're committed to worship because I'm physically, I'm spiritually training. I'm committed to worship. I'm committed to giving because I'm spiritually training. Uh, whatever money that God gives me in this time, you know? I, I mean, no, uh, with, with, with hours being cut back, whatever I have, whatever, wherever I get it, I'm physically, I'm spiritually training. I've gotta, I've gotta give, I've gotta, I've gotta worship, I've gotta serve we're spiritually training, right? I'm nourishing myself daily on the word, right? And so that's what Paul is saying here. And, you know, training, here's what I want to stop and say, how's that spot on for this moment? Well, training spiritually doesn't make the Christian life easy. We all know that. Man, I, I train. I train. You train. Some of us train more than others. But when, even though I train, it doesn't make the Christian life easy. Let me give you some examples. It doesn't make it easy, but it makes it easier. And let me give you some examples. Right now, you're home with your wife and you're home with your kids probably more than you've been in a long time. And I think it's a great thing. I think it's awesome that you're able to focus and spend time. I, I saw an interview with, with Jeremy Pruitt, the coach of the Tennessee Volunteers, yesterday, actually. And he said, I'm taking advantage of this. One of the, the benefits, the great things, is I get to spend more time with my kids. That's awesome. But here's what I also know. Man, when you spend more time with your wife or your husband, with your spouse or with your kids, it, man, before long, you can start to get on each other's nerves. <laughs> right? Especially when it's raining outside and you can't really go out and do anything and get space, you can get on each other's nerves. And it's easy to begin to pop off with each other. Now, when I pop off to Amy, it doesn't make it easy. When I, if Amy's training for godliness, when I pop off to her, it doesn't make it easy for her to respond in a godly manner and to do what the scripture says, a gentle answer turns away wrath. It doesn't make it easy, but it makes it easier. It makes it easier for her to respond in a godly manner, doesn't it? So it doesn't make it easy, but it makes it easier. It makes it easier. you, You know what, one of the things, the biggest thing that probably takes more men, even women too, but more men out of the game than anything is pornography. Pornography is killing, it's killing. The enemy is using pornography to devastate men. It's killing men in their relationships at work. It's even killing their jobs. It's killing marriages, even before they begin. Single men right now, single man, listen to me. You're getting, if you get addicted to porn, it's going to destroy your future marriage and the intimacy that can be there. It kills, it steals, it destroys. Some of you are in battle. Training for godliness doesn't make that battle easy, but it makes it easier. It makes it easier. Right now, you're at home. You've got more time than you've ever had. You're, you're at home sometimes by yourself. You've got more time to wander into places you shouldn't be. Look at things you shouldn't look at. And it doesn't make it easy if you're training for godliness because it's still a battle, but it makes it easier when your head's full of scripture, when you know where you should bounce your eyes and put your eyes, the things you should meditate on. It makes it easier. Right now is a time when a lot of people are focused on frustration and fear. Man, a lot of people are afraid. We, we, we keep hearing, you know, from our media, uh, we keep hearing stuff from New York, New York. And I mean, it's, it's sort of the, although it's the outlier in this whole thing in America, it, it's the focus. And so we hear things and, and it, it's easy to get fearful or it's easy to get frustrated. And you know, when you, when you focus and train on the word of God it, and you, you feast on the word of God, you nourish your soul with the word of God, it doesn't make it easy to not focus on fear and frustration, but it makes it easier because as Paul said, our hope is set on the living God, the savior of all people. Now, he doesn't mean he's gonna save everyone. We talked about that last week, right? I think it means he's the savior of all kinds of people, not just the Jews with what he's writing here in the context. He's the savior of Jews and Gentiles. He's the savior of Iranians and Americans. He's the savior of all kinds of people, those who believe. Okay, those who believe. Uh, uh, and so, so, but we put, set our hope on the living God, he said. And when your hope is set on the living God because you're feasting on the word, you know the promises of God. And so even in this time, when it's frustrating and when it causes anxiety, you can know God's in control. I know that God is with me. I know that God will never leave me. I know that God has this in the palm of his hand. My hope is set on the living God and no virus can take that away. No falling stock market can take that away. No isolation or quarantine can take that away. Nothing can take that away. So it doesn't make it easy, but it makes it easier, right? And folks, this can be a refining time, to be quite honest, that can help us see the idols that we've placed our hope in and hopefully repent of those and return and place our hope in the Lord, okay? So Paul says, if if we're following here, when I was studying this this week, I I, I think it was very clear what Paul was saying, stay in the game. Men are falling away, stay in the game. And number two, train for the game, train for godliness, right? And finally, number three here, I think Paul says, be an example of how to play the game for the world right now, okay? Let's look at verses 11 through 16. And verses 11 through 16, here's what Paul says. Command and teach these things. Let no one despise you for your youth, but but set the believers an example, an example. That's why I say he's telling him to set an example for how to play the game. But, But he says, set believers as an example in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, in purity. Paul says, set an example. He, first, he told Timothy, he said, don't let anyone look down on your youth. Don't let anyone look down on youth. Very famous passage. I, talk, I, I, I use this passage when I'm counseling and talking with young people all the time, from teenagers to college students to, to young professionals who want to, uh, you know, who are considering careers and doing whatever they, they're, they're about to do. And I'm like, hey, look, whatever you're about to do, do great things for the kingdom of God. Don't let anyone tell you because you're young. So Paul said, don't let anyone look down on your youth. Now, why would Paul tell him that? Because I think there were people who were looking down on Timothy because he was young. Scholars believe that when Paul wrote this to Pastor Timothy, he was probably in his late 20s to early 30s. So there were probably some people in the church that were saying, you know what, Timothy, I got socks older than, than you. <laughs> you. You don't really need to be the one who's teaching me deeper things. You probably got some older folks that were saying, I, I, you don't need to be teaching me deeper things. There could have been some people in the church jealous because Paul uh, placed Timothy in charge of pastoring the church. And so, so he probably had all these people saying, he's too young, man. He's still wet behind the ears. I mean, he, he, he doesn't need to be teaching deeper things. Now, on top of that, can you imagine following Paul? You've heard it said that you don't wanna be the man who follows the man, right? I mean, in other words, can you imagine? Think about this, all you Alabama fans out there. uh, Can you imagine being the man who follows Nick Saban? You are set up for failure. There is no way. There is no football coach except a desperate football coach that's going to follow Nick Saban. Because you can't win. You can't go higher than the program has been. There's no way you can go higher. There's no way you're gonna be ranked. I mean, what, what, well, I'm gonna take us to be ranked number one multiple years and have the best recruiting class. He's done it. I mean, what are you gonna do? Can you imagine following Bill Belichick in New England? I mean, there's no coach in his right mind that would do that unless he's just desperate and needs a job. And so, so you don't wanna be the man who follows the man. Think about Timothy. Timothy followed Paul. Paul started this church and he put Timothy in charge. So Timothy's young, he's intimidated, he's, you know, stressed. I mean, he feels inadequate. And so Paul comes in and says, whoa, Timothy, whoa, 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 Whoa. you need to set an example. You need to set an example of what it is to play the game and do that by earning the respect. Earning the respect, Timothy, not just by what you say, but by how you live. In other words, make sure that the scripture sets how you live and people will see how you live and they will say, hmm, hmm, this guy's on something, man. I respect him. I follow him. Not just because of what he says, but by how he lives, right? I mean, and so he says, set an example in, in your speech. Timothy, set an example in your speech right? I mean, uh, let them hear you not have a foul mouth, right? I mean, I I don't necessarily think that was what Paul was encouraging Timothy to do because I don't think he necessarily had a foul mouth, but that would be something that he would say to us. Your speech should be an example of how to play this game, but it's not just limited to being a foul mouth. What about being a negative mouth, being a gossiping mouth, Right, I mean the things that you talk about, the things that people hear you talk about. My wife has a saying with my kids, and I hear her say it, and she got it, I think, uh, a few years ago, out of one of their children's devotionals. and And her saying is, "Is it kind? Is it helpful? Is it true?" Now that I'm working at home, I have my home office, and I go in, I close the door because they're 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 doing school right now. They're doing this stuff, and so I close the door. And every now and then, you know, my kids, they're they're 12, 13, and 13, and they are are you know every now and then one will say something and then they'll, the, the other one will come back. And so I hear Amy say, is it helpful? Is it kind? Is it true? Is it helpful? Is it kind? Is it true? Man, that's a great, great, great filter, isn't it? What we say, is it helpful? Is it kind? Is it true? Is it godly? I mean, so he said, Timothy, what's your speech? What's your conduct? You know, how, what do people, how do people see you live? What do they see you live for? What's your, what's your love? Do people see that you love people by how you serve people? You know, he talks about faith. This could be faithfulness. Be a great word for today. Are, are the, is the world going to see you remain faithful in this time? Are they gonna see you remain faithful? Are they gonna see you drift? It could mean faith. Man, my faith is growing, right? Uh, purity, which would mean sexual purity, right? Basically, here's what Paul is saying. A person with the Holy Spirit of God should live different. They should think different. They should speak different. They should love differently. They should serve differently, right? He says, Timothy, set an example because you're going to be criticized, but let people see what you do. And when people see what you do, that will give what you say validity. That's why it's so important. Right now, think about it. There are so many people in our world and if you're a Christian, you have a responsibility of of, of sharing the gospel, of, of of being ambassador for the kingdom of God, and I know that some people might criticize that just simply because you know you're 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 a Christian, and so Paul's words are so spot on because right now he's saying, hey, listen, let people see you be faithful in this time. Let people hear what you say be different than what the world is saying, right? Watch what you write on Facebook. Watch your post. Don't let your post be bashing someone all the time or negative all the time. Let your post be uplifting, right? Let your post, is it helpful? Is it true? You know, is it right? Is it godly? I mean, watch what you say. Watch how you live. Are people seeing you serve people? Are they seeing you be selfish? Are they seeing you be sacrificial? Are they seeing you lay back? Are they seeing you lean in? Be an example, that's a great word for us today. And then Paul tells Timothy to devote himself to the public reading of Scripture. Again, here we go with Scripture. Train for godliness, what's his focus? Scripture. People don't respect you, Timothy. We'll make them respect you by how you live and then devote yourself to public reading of Scripture. Now, let me, let me, let me back up for a moment and, and explain that. The reason he was saying devote yourself to the public reading of scriptures is because remember the time they lived in. The New Testament's being written, okay? They had the Old Testament, but there, there wasn't uh, the Old Testament translated into bound copies. It, even They didn't even have scrolls for every home, right? At that day, they had maybe one per village. And so the way they got the word was the public reading, and so he's saying, fill the people with scripture, remain in the scripture, lead from the scripture, speak from the scripture. He's saying, Timothy, you don't have experience, but you've got the word of God, okay? And so I would say to you right now is set an example for how to, to play the game. Set an example for what it means to be a Christian, by, by what, for, for what it means to love and walk with the Lord. And how do you do that? Let scripture saturate your words. Let scripture saturate how you live and determine how you live. Okay, let scripture determine your conduct, your love, your faith, your purity, your words. Stay in the word. And then he he says, uh, he tells Timothy not to neglect your spiritual gift. In other words, he says, Timothy, stay in the word and serve. Stay in the word and serve. Listen, you want people to respect you? Set an example. How do you do that? By letting them see the word saturate your life and letting them see you serve. Every Christian has at least one spiritual gift A a spiritual gift is is the empowering, supernatural empowering of God on your abilities and skill set to be used for his glory, okay? Every Christian has at least one, maybe multiple, and whatever it is that God has gifted you to do, your talents, your skills, your desires, and then he infuses those things with his spirit to give you power to use that for his glory. So he's saying, let Timothy, let the world see you be saturated with the word and serve the world by the power of God. The word is so important, right? And so Paul says, this will save you and others. Now, a lot of scholars, you know, and, and, and commentators, they, they get sort of, you know, uh, there, there's, there's a lot of different thoughts on what he means by save you and save others. And obviously we know from scripture, this is why it's important to know the whole of scripture, right? We know that he's not saying that, you know, doing these things will save Timothy or his peop, or, or people. He, he could, you know, I, I believe that he's saying a couple of things here. That, that a couple of really great possibilities is he's saying, when you do this, you'll save people from falling away or you'll save people from this, this, this toxic doctrine that they're believing as you stay saturated in the word and teach the word and preach the word and people will know what to believe. Uh, I also think he could mean that Timothy, as you preach the word and stay saturated in the word and serve, other people will be saved by believing in Jesus Christ, okay? And so, church, here, here's the importance of the word is so, is so amazing in your life. Okay. You know, I have people when I, when I preach all the time, I have people come up and say, man, you were speaking just to me today. Were you speaking just to me? I, I think you were reading my mail. It sounded like you were speaking just to me. And sometimes I say, yeah, I really was because your wife called me this week. <laughs> I mean, I'm, I'm just a joke. I would, I would not do that. But uh, in all seriousness, I was speaking straight to you. The Holy Spirit was speaking straight to you. Well, see, when, when, when that's the power of the word. See, when I, sometimes I'm just preaching the word and it's the word and the Holy Spirit takes that. And it wasn't that I'm preaching straight to you, but the Holy Spirit knows your heart exactly what you need. And he takes that. That's what supernaturally, he presses it in. That's what happens with the word. It's so important that you lean in and not lay back. It's so important that you don't ride the pine, but that right now in this time that you say, put me in coach, Stay in the game, train for the game, and set an example. This is a moment in time. This coronavirus pandemic has created a moment that's disrupted the world. And we as Christians, listen, we are in a place of opportunity. It is a challenge. It's a challenge for me not to be around people. It's a challenge for me not to, to worship personally where I can like touch you and all those kind of things, put my arms around you and physically see you when I preach. It's a challenge, right? It's a challenge for you. But listen, it's an opportunity. It's a challenge with people worried about their finances. It's a challenge with people worried about jobs. It's a challenge, but it's an opportunity. It's an opportunity for Christians to be faithful to, to, to get in the game, to stay in the game, to be an example for how to play the game, to train for the game. It's, a, it's an opportunity for us to make a huge impact by people seeing the reality. And as Paul said to Timothy, set an example, set an example. And when people look at you, will they see something different? More importantly, when God looks at you, will he say, you remained faithful. You remain faithful you remain faithful. That's my prayer, LifePoint. My prayer, LifePoint friends and LifePoint family all over the world is that you say, put me in coach, that you don't lay back, but that you lean in, but that you say, I'm not going to ride the pine. I'm going to get in the game. And you train and you set an example and you stay strong in this time. And if you will, God will not only bless others, but he will bless you. Your family depends upon you staying in the game and getting in the game. Your neighbors depend upon you getting in the game. Your coworkers, your classmates, people that you don't even know depend upon you getting in the game and staying in the game. So LifePoint, friends, family, watching from all over the world, I wanna pray for you right now. If you, at any moment, if you, uh, after watching uh today later today whenever if you need to talk with a counselor to talk with someone to help you through uh anything that we've talked about today or 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 just for prayer we're we're open there's a there's a link on this uh this online gathering that it leads you to our connect card fill that out You can email us, you can call us, we're here. Call us and talk to us, right? We would be glad to help you process and walk through anything that will help you in this moment, stay in the game, get in the game. Maybe you're not a believer. Listen, if you're not a believer, there's no time like right now, like this time. Call us, email us, fill out that card, let us know, okay? I wanna challenge you also, stay in the game when you're giving. I have been blown away by how faithful that you've been and I challenge you to stay in the game by giving online. Uh, if you don't know how, then you can call us and we'll help you. Or you can bring it to the church. You can, you can mail it to the church, but stay in the game with your giving. Don't let anything cause you to be unfaithful with worship, with giving, with service. God bless you, LifePoint. I love you. Uh, I look forward to the day, hopefully not far away, a few weeks away, hopefully, when we'll be able to join together. Until then, Let's get in the game. God, I love you, thank you for your grace. Thank you for Life Point Church. Thank you for churches, gospel-believing, gospel Bible preaching, Jesus-loving pastors and churches all over the country right now that are able to preach online and speak to their people. Thank you that we're connected in that way that we just 10 or 15 years ago, we wouldn't have been. Father, but thank you that we are. Thank you that we still get to preach, encourage, pray for, pray with, worship, meet in Zoom groups. God, we still get to give all these things so that your kingdom, your kingdom can advance and, and and Lord, people can be saved and Christians can be encouraged. Thank you, God, that we have that opportunity, and I pray that we Christians would not lay back, but we would lean in. That we would not ride the pine, but that we would get in the game. That we would say, "Put me in, Coach. Put me in. I'm ready to play." Today, right now, I'm ready to play. God, I pray that anyone who doesn't know you, that the Holy Spirit of God right now, that you would convict, that you would draw, that you would compel, that they would call, that they would fill out the card and that that, that we would be able to talk with people. And, and people today. Thank you that your salvation is not limited to coming to a, a, a building. Thank you, Lord, that it's not about the building, the church is the people. And thank you that, that they're scattered right now. Thank you that your salvation is not about coming to a building, that worship is really not even about coming to a building. Yes, you do tell us to come together and we do, but thank you that worship is about living life. And I pray that we would live our life by, by setting an example in the game. We love you, we praise you, Lord Jesus, we pray, God, right now that you would help our church and all Bible-believing churches and all gospel-preaching churches, all Jesus-loving churches to rise up in this moment. And Lord, to literally be an example of what it means to walk with you and let many people come to, to know you as a result. In Jesus' name, amen.